Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining the Victor Marks Show. I am Victor Marks, and my guest today is brother Jimmy Brown. Yes, sir. He's a musician. He is a gifted, talented brother that you will want to listen to some of his music and download it because it's a fix for your soul. And it's really from somebody who has been and lived in deep darkness and struggles and amazing, fascinating, heart-wrenching testimony, but so full of hope. And if you've suffered, if you as a person understand the depths of suffering of losing a loved one and struggling with depression or alcoholism or drugs, suicidal thoughts, you want to listen to this program. You want to stay tuned uh, because, uh, again, we're real and raw here, but the hope and redemption that God offers is more real and it's superpower and supernatural. So Jimmy, thank you for joining me today. No, no, thank you. Such an incredible honor to be here and just be able to share my heart and just share truth with uh, the folks that are listening and watching. Uh, what people don't know is that, and I want people to know about you is uh, you lost your mother earlier yeah. on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To a tragic death. Yes. And lots and lots of people have lost loved ones to suicide. Yeah. How, how old were you when that happened? So it was literally a month and a day after my 11th birthday. Oh, my gosh, man. Yeah. Uh, when that happened, who told you? So my dad told me. Um, it was crazy because I remember that day so vividly. And there was a... I don't remember much of my childhood. I remember like a few distinct moments in my childhood. And this one I remember like clear as day. Um, so we, we grew, our parents had split up when I was five. So we were being raised by a single father. So there was never, um, there was never a ton of money. So like new clothes and things like that were not a regular thing. And our dad had picked us up from school and he told my brother and I like, Hey, we need to go get new clothes. Like, so we're thinking like, oh, we're going to get nice clothes. Like, this is awesome. Something is happening. Right. And uh, we go, we all, we pick out new clothes and, and we come home. And I realized this the other day, this is where my first experience with alcohol being a coping mechanism or a, a comfort came from because our dad brought us in the kitchen. And before he, he shared with us, he asked me, he said, hey, I need you to go across the street and get me a beer. And that was like my first, like- mm introduction to comfort from alcohol mm -hmm. and he, he told us and I just remember like the world stopped I felt like the world stopped and I think there were years that went by that I was like this this can't be real like my mom's gonna come back mm. so you don't really process as a kid no uh, no right uh Jimmy for someone who has been there who understands the depths and the pain Yes. The ideation of suicide and planning it and, and even losing someone to suicide, 
your mom. Yeah. What would you tell somebody listening right now that's on their mind? They're struggling right now. They're planning to end their life. What would you tell them? The first thing I would tell them is that you are worth it. You're worth it. There is hope. Jesus is real. And he wants to come into your life and heal everything that you're dealing with if you're willing to let him. Mm. People, it's that simple. Yeah. And we're not minimizing what you're feeling and the pain. But I'll tell you, suicide is a permanent answer to a temporary problem. Yes. Both Jim and I have been there. And we're not trying to push some type of religion on you. No. We're not after your money. We're not trying to. We're just telling you the hope and what's worked for us. So you may be a teenager Mm -hmm. struggling. You may be a a mom who's just done. You just feel like you can't do it anymore. You may be a a middle-aged man that says, you know what? This stuff hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. Life has Mm -hmm. been unfair and unjust. It ain't over. And you may be some oldster who's just said, my life doesn't matter. I don't have a mission anymore. I'm done. Guess what? You are not done. The rest of the chapters of your book hasn't been written. So don't give up. That's what we'll tell you right now. Do not give up. And if you're struggling right now, listen, pause this, call 1-800-273-8255. It's simple. 1-800-273-8255. Call and just let somebody know on the other line. This is a confidential support. If you're struggling with bad thoughts, call and just say, I'm not doing well. I need help. Don't make a final decision on a temporary problem. Amen. So your your dad, what type of work did he do? So he ran catering trucks. So it was like a food truck before the whole trendy food truck thing came around. So it wasn't like one specific uh, food that he sold. But he would go to construction sites and just different places and sell food. Now, I've seen pictures of him. He's a pretty cool looking dude, man. He's all right. He is. Right? I'm like, yeah. dang, you could you could put him in any era, 40s, 50s, 70s, you know, 2000s, and he's just cool. Yeah, absolutely. My friends growing up all loved to be around my dad. Now, when... When was y'all's introduction? Was he musical or? So he was, he never played any instruments, but my dad always sang. Like I remember my whole childhood, he would sing and he has, he actually has a really good voice. What type of music did he like? Would y'all listen to around the house? In, In the earlier years, it would be more like Elvis and, and things of that vein. And then later on in life, he would listen to like a lot of Eric Clapton and and things like that which i didn't get like when he back then i would hear eric clapton and i'm like oh turn this stuff off and now i'm like wow like i i should have really appreciated what he was listening to he was dialed in oh yeah so that's that's great well i believe me i'm excited i think it's so interesting that just this morning i put on some of your music and while i'm listening that that thought came to me cast your nets on the other side that's so amazing. Um, right? Yeah. I mean, and you feel like God's been showing you something with that. The lifestyle of a musician's got to be tough. Oh, it's in, it's incredibly hard. Yeah. I mean, 
because you you love doing what you're doing uh but yet we live in a world where without promotion without some type of financial remuneration i mean mm-hmm. you guys are you know diving for golf balls and <laughs> cleaning them off and selling them on a corner or something it's yeah. uh it, it's tough so what type of work have you and your brother done to kind of support yourselves so we've always worked in the service industry just because you can bartend or serve tables and you can work a few nights a week and make a sufficient amount of money and then that allows you the time to actually put into music um because p- playing music is essentially like trying to be a pro athlete. There's a lot of time and work that go into writing good songs, being a good performer, um, and just all of it. So it's it's it takes time. Right. What's the first song that you'll ever put out that you go, oh, my gosh, people actually like this? What was it? Because I know the first few, like our, our friends liked them and we would play at parties and things like that. But it took a little bit. It You write, you definitely write plenty of bad songs before you write good songs. Right. Um, but I would say we wrote a song called On Top of the World. And I think that was the, the song that really changed everything. It took us from being like a local band that was writing decent songs and all of our friends would enjoy coming to our shows and that when we wrote that song, it was kind of like, okay, wow, there, there could be a lot of potential here. Hmm. I think, I think a lot of that had to do with, that was the first time we really opened up and were willing to write with different people. Um, I think as you continue to grow and progress, you learn that it takes, it takes a group to create something that's bigger than the group itself. Interesting. Yeah. So collaboration is, is key. I think that's the thing I would recommend to all young artists. Like if you've never written with anyone, it's the best thing you could ever do for yourself. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Now, do you, I've listened to your music. I don't know if I could put it in like one genre. It's not rap. It's not rock. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's almost like going to different restaurant for meals. Right. And you go, yeah. I'm feeling spicy today. Or I I need a Mediterranean spread or whatever, you know, I need a hamburger and fries. Y'all's music is, is that diverse to me? Yeah. I, and I think that was, that's rad to hear you say that because that was our goal when we were writing these songs. So we had written rock songs for years and years and years. Um, And this record that you're, you're talking about, we wrote very shortly after I got saved and my, my whole world opened up. And I feel like this was the first time that I was just open to try anything. And when we went into the studio to write those songs, our whole goal was to just pull from whatever genre to make the best songs that we could. And uh, I truly feel like every song has its own identity. I will agree completely. And I mean, I actually like that. Uh, I like that when I'm flipping through my playlist or whatever, and I go, this is the mood I'm in, you know? And it's... yeah. Just me wanting to bang my head against the wall. I want music to match it. Yeah. Or if I'm just chilling. So uh, you're raised in Southern California. Yes, sir. And you, because of, I would definitely say because of divorced parents and then your mother, you know, committing suicide when you were 11, that had to spin you into this kind of this dark world of depression. And how did you, how did you cope with that? What did the world offer you? 
Oh, so yes, the de- the depression was, I think, probably the biggest overshadowing thing that I dealt with because of my mom's death. Um, it it would leave me like in bed at for weeks at a time, mm. and I think by the age it's not by the age of thirteen is when I had come into agreement with the lie that I would also commit suicide. There you go. Yep. And trying to search. Um, I remember when I was young, there was one simple thing that I wanted. And I was like, I just want to be happy. Like, I want to know what it is to be happy. Mm-hmm. And searching for happiness, I went after everything that the world tells you will make you happy, you know. Mm-hmm. So it started with alcohol at 13. And then it progressed into drugs, making money, women, just everything that the world tells you is gonna gonna make you happy. And inevitably, what I found is that none of those things will make you happy. Right. But they do momentarily or people wouldn't do it. Oh, momentarily, momentarily. Yeah. Yeah. But the end, the end result is always, it's, it's very high highs. And then the end result is very low lows. Gotcha. And your depression, that just wasn't, it may have been started by, you know, situational or circumstance, but it turned into definitely clinical. I mean, where your chemicals aren't firing correctly. Uh, yeah. when a teenager can't get out of bed, uh, I mean, I've been there as a man when I was struggling mm-hmm. where you're just like, I was married with kids and I'm like, I mean, I was, I'll never forget the day my dad, I called my dad. I was like, Hey, jeez, man. He goes, son, you sound depressed. And I was like, uh, I don't do depression. <laughs> and he's like, well, check yourself. So did you ever try? I understand why people do things to make themselves better. I mean, you said it. I just want to, what does it feel like to be happy? You know, so people typically become their own pharmacist and Mm -hmm. and they're just, they're just trying. Did you ever try any like, you know, true depression, anti-depression drugs? No. Um, So I never, I never saw a doctor or a therapist when I was younger, my dad always offered, he wanted to take me to a therapist. And my thought was always, if I can't tell my own family what I'm dealing with, how am I going to tell a stranger what I'm dealing with? So all of my attempts at medication was all self-medication. Right. Which is normal. And yet two things, sometimes it's easier to tell someone you don't even know, but who's a professional. Yeah. Everything. Versus yeah. your family. So that's not an unnormal like response, right? Or feeling. Yeah. And I think, man, I do think it's good for people to find what I call a soul surgeon. Mm-hmm. Someone who really knows how to operate on your soul to help put you together. Uh, the other thing, Jimmy, is you said you, you believed the lie that you would commit suicide. This is a big one. Yeah, I want us to be able to talk about that because this is a big one. I call them self-vows. You align yourself, you believe a lie, and then you make it yours. I guess I am, you know. I mean, for me, you know, my dad was in a mental hospital. My grandfather died in a mental hospital. So it was always that looming, syrupy pressure. Hey, I'm going to end up in a mental hospital. This is – and the enemy – to my soul definitely attacked me enough. Uh, and I started, I definitely was going through stuff. Where I was like, geez, I remember telling my wife, maybe you should just put me 
in a facility and let me, you know, sit in a corner and rock back and forth and mumble. And, yeah. Uh, so how did you break out of that lie? Because that's very real for many people. I mean, right. There will be people that go, oh, my gosh, I've never even heard of a self-vow. Yeah. It will arrest their thinking. So, one, that's good. But, two, how did, you know, when we talk about it, how how did you get out of it? Uh, it, Very simple. I mean, I lived – so I lived life radically from 13 till 33. And the only way that that vow was broken was literally just crying out to Jesus. Um and asking him to come in, him to come into my life. And that, that was literally the only way that that was broken. Really? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about this Jesus thing since you brought him up. <laughs> <laughs> so did you say like a special prayer? Cause don't they have those special Jesus prayers? Oh yeah. The, the fit right in that box. And those are the yeah. only ones that you say that work. Yeah. Um, no, it, it was no special prayer. It was not, uh, it didn't fit in a box. It was just my honest, heartfelt cry. Well, you um, know, it's real. You could be yeah. faking it. How long have you been faking this? Come on, this is a safe place. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I had met. That's what, some, that's what some people think, right? If you don't do it a certain way. Ooh. It's not real. Yeah, no, it was. So I had met a guy that he was the first person that ever openly shared his struggles with suicide with me because I mean, it's, it's starting to become more prevalent. People are talking about struggles with suicide, but my generation, like people talking about mental health or suicidal thoughts like that, that makes you crazy. So you're not going to share those things. And this guy had shared with me. And the, the thing was, it was a divine appointment because I was in the space of everything in my life that I wanted that was going to make me quote unquote happy. Like my band, my band doing well, my band being on the radio, the tours that I had dreamed of my entire life, those things were all happening. But inside, I'm just destroyed and I'm getting closer to the age when my mom died. And the lie that I believed was, you're going to die this around the same age that she did. You're going to take your life as well. And that, and for me, like how you said, you just accepted the, the mental institution. It was the same thing. Yeah. It was like, I've just accepted this is what goes on in my family. I've just accepted this. Uh. And so he shared with me that his struggles with suicide and how Jesus had changed his life. And I went home and the same way that I planned on taking my life, because my, my whole thought process was, okay, I've seen my dad and my brother suffer through so much pain. So the last thing I want to do is put them through more pain by me taking my life. So my my thoughts are, let me do this the cleanest, safest way so that when they do find my body, it's not as bad, you know? I'm I'm not gonna make it as bad for them. So I'm thinking, I at the time when I was struggling or like needed to process thoughts, I would say that I was going to Portland, which I would go sit in the bathtub and I would turn the shower on like it was rain and I would just sit in the rain. And it wasn't uncommon for me to be in there for 20, 30 minutes. So my thought process is I can go in the, the bathtub. I can slip my wrists, bleed out. It, it's not going to be weird for me to be in there that long with the shower on. But by the time they find me, I will have bled out. Mess will be cleaned up. It's just super clean for them to find me that way, right? So this guy shares his struggles with suicide and the fact that Jesus changed his life. 
So that night I go home and the same way that I plan on taking my life, I literally just sit under that water and I'm bawling, crying. Mm. Jesus, if you're real and you're who this guy says, who you are who this guy says you are, I need you in my life. I need you to come into my heart. I need you to be my Lord and Savior. And I prayed, I, I prayed that. Um, I think that's pretty much exactly verbatim along what I, the lines of what I said. And the next morning I tell people I felt like I was high on, on something different for the very first time. I was like, this is a high that I've never felt before. And now I can put verbiage to that. I know that the Holy Spirit showed up. I know that the Holy Spirit showed up. I know that Jesus is real. And I know the things that he took out of my life. Um, mm. There were some things that were taken right away. And then there were some things that we had to walk out. When you say pray, that doesn't sound like a prayer. It sounds like you just talk to the Lord. It's like talking. Yeah. Talking. People need to know that they can just talk to God, talk to Jesus. Yeah. That's, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to the earth so we would have that open line of communication with God so that we can just talk and simply share our heart with God. I think there are a lot of people that feel like they're too dirty. They're too sinful to talk to God. Yeah. Right. He'll know. Uh-huh. What do we tell people like that? I'll tell you, if a guy like me can talk to God, <laughs> you can talk to God because I had a list a mile long of the dirtiest sins you could ever commit. And I cannot tell you who I am today and who I was before is night and day. Do I still mess up? Do I still have sin? Yep. It's going to be that way until I leave here. But if a dirty guy like me can, can have a relationship with God, the father, because of Jesus, anyone can. I mean, he really specializes in cleaning people up. Yeah. I try to tell people, Hey, it's a futile attempt to try to, cleanse yourself from sin exactly because we can't i think we can make better choices but to a certain extent you still are carrying the burden of guilt and shame for past things and the enemy of our soul will remind us of that uh man i hate to do this but we've run out of time today folks there's so much more i want to discuss with jimmy brother can you hang on yeah i mean let's let's continue our conversation about prayer a lot of people just can't grasp the concept that jesus will listen to their prayers they feel like they aren't worthy that there's no way god could hear them because well they felt repeatedly but god will forgive you and we will continue our conversation on this topic next time sound good jimmy yes sir now wherever you are whatever you're doing do it for the glory of god give God your all and make sure you're all in. So go get it done and we'll see you next time on the second part of this interview on the Victim Art Show. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.